up your Bibles to 1 Peter, let me ask you a question to get us started. How many of you know that your faith in Christ is supernatural? How many of you know that your faith in Christ, there aren't very many hands up, isn't that interesting? Right, but, here, but here's the problem, guys. If I ask a follow-up question, how many of us live like that? It is really, I think, I think if you've been here for very long, you know we talk a lot about it and we see a lot of the spirit moving and supernatural faith. But as, but as Westerners trust the science people, right? And I'm saying that with air quotes, trust the science people. And I'm saying that as a man who got his undergraduate degree in biology and a double major in biology and chemistry and at the time was a God-mocking, Bible-mocking atheist, I understand that as a Westerner, it is really hard for us to live in and embrace the supernatural, even in our faith. We are not comfortable with that kind of conversation. Like, we've had people leave the church in the year that we've regathered because we're just a little too spirit-driven, right? Because, man, there's something about this, like this supernatural part that does not sit well with our Western minds. But man, in the, in the world that Jesus lived in, the, the Near East world, there, there was very little difference between the physical and the spiritual. The Bible teaches that there is, that, that there is a reality out there that is, that is more real than anything we are experiencing here. Right? That, that's, that, that yes, the kingdom of God is like somewhere up there, but it's also somehow right here. And someday what's going to happen is the, the spiritual and the physical are going to reunite when he comes again. And that's what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be. But it's really hard for us to live that way right now. We just aren't really comfortable talking about like supernatural things. So today we're going to be looking at the very end of 1 Peter and talking about how, like, this idea of how do we stand firm into eternity. And the whole point of this letter, and I'm not going to go back to the first, this is the 10th message in 1 Peter that we've done. I'm not going to go back and review them all. But the whole point of this letter, ultimately Peter has been pushing us to this place of going, guys, this is not your home. This is not even what's real. What is real is the supernatural. And, and we're going to, I hopefully, we're going to see that today. So what we're looking at today is we're looking at this message, the, the last message in the series called Standing Firm into Eternity. How do we take everything that Peter's been showing us and walk into a world that's living for what's real? And that's really the question I'm going to ask you guys today is how do we get better at living in that reality? How do we get better at living for what's real? Because I might ask, so how many of you think your faith supernatural? And maybe I can coerce most of you into raising your hand and going, yeah, I get that being a born-again believer is a supernatural thing. But then we walk out into a real world with real problems and real debt and real everything else, and we very quickly get focused back on the physical and not the spiritual. Right? And so we start, and, and, and yet we have to remember that, that what's really real is what we cannot see, and we're going to see that today. So I'm going to start, actually, where we left off, where I left off last week, and I'm going to pick it up before we jump into the, the meat of the message and, and pick it up in verse 6 to sort of hit the ground running as we go into our message today. So look at 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, and it says this, Likewise, I'm sorry, that was verse 5, 
Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, part of why I wanted to start there is because it really, it, it, he is helping us make the point I was just trying to make about how important it is be, to see life through a supernatural lens. Because it doesn't just affect how you live now. Like, the, the reality of what Chris shared in our whole prayer time, talking about, like, the, the spiritual warfare, um, the act of this, this idea of the spiritual world and the physical world eventually reuniting, it isn't just affecting how you live now. It affects your view of God. Because if we think that God, if we don't really believe that, or, or at least live, if, I mean, even if we believe but don't live like the world is really supernatural, we tend to keep God in his safe space. And we let him out of our closet when, we, when it fits the moment we're in. Like on ch- church on Sunday, of course we're supernatural. But come the, my place of work, I'm not going to talk about something supernatural because people think I'm weird. Even, even talking about God, people will think I'm weird. There's not a God, right? Like, it's so, so it is so, so for, how does that relate to verses 6 and 7? Well, interestingly, when Peter says, humble yourselves... That's actually in the middle voice in the Greek. So the active voice is you humble yourself. The passive voice is you're going to be humbled, right? And there are verses in the Bible that talk about that. This verb, humble, in, in, that, in that passage in the Greek is actually allow yourself to be humbled. He's saying allow God to humble you. And then, the, and then in verse 7 he says casting your cares. Casting is an active word. But here's the problem. We will not, and this goes back to how we view God. And do we even view like him as, as an essential part of living in this physical world because the supernatural world is what really matters. We will not allow ourselves to be humbled and we will not cast our cares on him unless we really believe he is who he says he is. He's done what he said he's done. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And you are who he says you are. Right? If we don't believe those things, why in the world would we do verses 6 and 7? Who are you humbling yourself to if you don't believe he is who he says he is? Who are you casting your cares to if you don't believe he really, deeply, fully knows you and has forever forgiven you in Christ Jesus? If you don't believe that, you won't do those things. So how in the world can we live for what's real What's, what this book talks about if we don't really believe those things. And ultimately, that's where Peter is going to go as he wrapped, wraps up this letter, which, frankly, he's been wrapping up since what we call the beginning of chapter 4. So the question today is, how can you get better at living in what's real? And what he's going to show us in these last few verses of the passage is that we have to be courageous in the fight, we have to be confident in our faith, and we have to be connected to the family of God. Like he is going to show us, like this is how we can actually live lives where we are constantly practicing allowing ourselves to be humble, casting our cares on the Lord. Because the world will make us forget God. We talk about this a lot here, right? We leak. You'll walk out of a Sunday gathering in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it might last you through the end of the day or tomorrow, right? But, but, but we tend to leave God back there as life tends to hit us smack in the face. So let's pick it up in our first point that's going to help us answer this question. How do we live for what's real? First of all, we have to live courageous in the fight. Look at what he says in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking 
someone to devour. Now, you might have said, you might say, well, be sober-minded. We've heard that before. You might not remember that because it was actually like nine weeks ago. Go back to the first part of the letter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Go back to, because this is where he's, he's this, is, um, this is sort of Peter's way of bookending his letter. He started out at the, early in the letter saying, be sober-minded. At the end of the letter, he's saying again, be sober-minded. Look at what he says in verse 13. Therefore, let me stop there. We haven't done this in a while. When we, when we get to the word therefore, we ask, what's it there for? It's therefore, and, this, and, and therefore everything above that, verses 1 through 12, was the first message. It was about our great salvation. It was the first message in our series. He's saying, therefore, because of things like, oh, by the way, I don't know, verse 9, you have attained an out as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's like, because of this great salvation that Abby just reminded us of, he's saying, Therefore, prepare your mind, preparing, ongoing, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope, your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Guys, do you see right there is, is what I'm talking about, this physical versus the, the spiritual or the, or the combination of them. Remember, and, and you might not remember, but when we, when we were in our first few messages in this letter, 10 weeks ago, I talked about how this is, Peter is living in this world of the already finished, but the not yet accomplished. Because he says, he says, what will be brought to you at the, or he says that, that, um, that, I'm sorry, that you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And we, and we talked about it then, of, wait a minute, but grace has already been brought to us at the cross. The answer is Yes. Are you saved? Yes. Are you being saved? Yes. Will you ultimately be finished in your salvation? Yes. Right? But that's because we're in the midst of this. We are spiritual beings now. If you're born again. If you're not, you're spiritually dead. Right? You're as, you're as dead as a rock. Right? That's, somebody read the verse out of Ezekiel. The heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh. That's that, that's that born again heart. The spiritual part of you is what the Bible's talking about. But he's saying you are a spiritual being, but we still live in this fleshly world. Someday that spiritual and the physical are going to slam together, and we won't have to deal with that wrestle anymore. But he's saying right now we're in process. And while we're in process, be preparing your minds. That's why we are changing the name of our church. into. It's one of the reasons we're changing the name of our church to cross-train and talking about getting more serious about training people to teach God's word. That's what it looks like to prepare your mind. And then it says, be sober-minded. All he's really saying there, both at, in chapter 1 and then now back in chapter 5, is he's saying, get your eyes right. Get your vision corrected. He's saying, get, get focused on the right thing. How do I know that? Well, look at, look at what he says in verse... Um, in verse 8, be sober-minded, get your focus right. In his very next words, be watchful. Right? He's saying, he's saying you, we have to be focused. But then he's, he's going to give us the why. Here's why. Because there's this adversary called the devil, Satan, who's prowling around looking for those who he can devour. Now, wait a second. How can Satan devour us if we're Christians? John tells us in 1 John 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. As a, as a, as a born-again believer, Satan cannot take your salvation from you. But, G, but Peter's talking to the church here. He's not saying the Satan is, the, Abby quote, the God of this world is, is blinding the mind of the unbeliever. We're going to see that in a few minutes. But guys, that's not who Peter's talking. He's talking to us. So how, how does that happen? How can, how can Satan 
devour a Christian if it's true that greater is he who is in us, and he is, than he who is in the world. Guys, Satan is a roaring lion. He is a lion on a leash. Our lion is the lion of Judah, and he sits on a throne. And nothing, he, he can do nothing to you that God does not allow him to do. He is a lion on a leash. Guys, we, we, have to, we have to understand that. And all we have to do is remember our series that we did a few summers ago in Job to believe it. Right? Satan could do nothing to Job that God did not allow. Now, how that all works in his plan and why he does it, we don't really know for sure, but Peter's going to let us in on it a little bit when we get to verse 10. But the point is, we have to know that he is capable of doing this to us as, as believers. He can't devour us in the sense of our salvation. He can destroy our witness. That's what he's after for believers, guys. He, because once you're saved, he knows there's nothing he can do to take you out of that kingdom. But here's what he also knows. He knows this kingdom is going to burn. This worldly kingdom. Not the church. This worldly kingdom is going to burn. And he knows he is too. And he wants to take as many people as he can with him. So all he really cares about is, if I can get you little Christs, you little Christians, to stop acting like Jesus and leading other people to Christ, then I can take as many people as possible with me to that hell, that fiery hell. That's his goal in your life, is to destroy your witness, or to, at the very least, just make you inconsequential in the fight. Now, before we go, okay, I understand all that, I get all that, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I, I even believe that he is real and all those things are true, and I think I'm on my game here. I think I can handle it. I, know, I mean, I, we pray. We prayed right here today about binding Satan from this place. Okay, I can do that. We need to always be mindful of Peter's warning. Why? Here's why Peter warned us of this. Turn to Luke 22. Keep your finger in 1 Peter. We're coming right back to it. Turn to Luke 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third letter in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke in verse 22. I want to, this is the same guy that wrote the letter we're in. Peter, 1 Peter 22 and verse 31. And I turn here, not just because I could just tell you the story, but I think it's so important that you understand like, how this relates, not just to Peter's life, but to our life. And, and the fight we're in right now to see our lives as supernatural. So starting in verse, Luke 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon. Now, do you remember? When does Jesus call Simon, Simon and not Peter? When he's fleshing out. So this is Jesus' Jesus' way of letting Peter and us know this was not Peter's high point. He's like, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, guys, I have no idea what that looked like. Like, what did that look like in the conversation between the incarnate Christ, his father, father Satan, all taught? I, I don't know. I just know it's true because, I, get, I mean, I seriously get goosebumps just thinking about I, did, I wouldn't want to be watching that conversation. But it happened. He's saying, Satan wanted to sift you as wheat. But look at this. But I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, you'll strengthen your brothers. Now, we know the end of the story, right? And Peter does get restored. All that, because look at what it says. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to both prison or death with you. 
That's what I was we got to be careful. I mean, you're like, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on my game. Satan can't do anything to me. Now, we don't want to give Satan more power than he, than he has. He can do nothing without the Lord's approval. It is not his fault that we sin. All he really does is partner with our own fallen flesh to get us to go do those things. Right? We cannot blame him. The devil made me do it is not biblical theology. Flip Wilson was a comedian in like the 70s. That was his theology. That is not, some of you old people might remember that. That the devil made me buy that dress. Some, but that is not, look, YouTube, YouTube it sometime. Um, that is not now I'm preaching. That is not biblical theology. Right? The, the reality is Satan didn't make you do anything as a believer. But he can affect you because he does Peter right here. Now, Peter wasn't sealed yet in the spirit, but Peter denies him. And he says, because Jesus says, the rooster's going to crow. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And, you, and we know the story, it happens. But here's what's interesting, and here's why I wanted you to turn here. Don't turn to Hebrews 7, but if you're taking notes, write down Hebrews 7. Because in Hebrews 7, it says something really interesting about Jesus. It says that Jesus is making intercession before us at the throne of God. And I always wondered, like, why does he need to intercede for us? If I'm, if I'm already saved, like, I, I, I've already come to the cross, I am saved, I'm in the kingdom, what is this ongoing, because it's an ongoing intercession. Here's what I believe he's, inter- here's where he's interceding. Just like he did for Peter. Satan, wa- Satan wanted you, Peter, but I prayed for you, that you would be strong, right? And you would eventually be strengthened and you would go on with the mission. Ultimately, Jesus is, or sorry, Satan, Satan is described in Revelation 12. It's going to be one of your daily readings this week in your, in your bulletin um, to kind of remember what we talked about last week about how the daily readings are supposed to bolster what you hear on Sundays now. So you need to be reading them and then sharing them with one another. But in Revelation 12, it says that the accuser of the brethren, that's Satan, were the brethren, the brothers and sisters, stands before God to accuse them night and day while Jesus is interceding for us. Not unto our salvation, but for our strength. Just like he did for Peter. He's saying, he's saying, Satan wants to ruin your witness, but I am constantly before my father going, I've got that one covered, God, Dad. I've got that one covered too. There's nothing he can do to my, my brothers and sisters. And that's ultimately what we our struggle, but it's also what we have to remember. So there's a, there's a table talk question. It's going to come up on the screen. It's not the one on your connecting points. It's an extra one. So I just want to read it to you and let you think about it for a second. It says, the spiritual world is as real as anything we can see. The gospels are full of examples of this reality being made known through how Jesus did ministry. Guys, if you, haven't, if you don't believe in the supernatural, you don't believe the gospels. I mean, Jesus lived in the world between the physical and the spiritual because he understood it, right? And, and so if you, just, if you don't, just read the Gospels and you're going to see a whole lot of supernatural. Does your ministry, but, here, but as Westerners, we've gone, oh, that was then. That was, that, was, that was Gospel times. That was first century times. We are enlightened 21st century believers. We've got science, no, guys, it's still just a spirit. The demons have not stopped prowling around. It's not like they quit when Jesus was resurrected. So it says, does your ministry, that ministry could be your marriage, your family, your personal ministry, what you're doing for God at the workplace. It could be what you do here as part of the church family. Does it take into account the spiritual aspect of the battle we are in? How comfortable are you in considering spiritual things? Guys, if we don't, 
and I haven't shared this in a while, but if we, if we don't back up to the source of the struggles, then we're not taking our prayers back far enough. If even, let's, let's just make it real. If your con- conflict with your spouse in the moment you're having it, or your parents, young people, or parents to your children, if your conflict, if, and, you, and, you're, and you're at least mature enough to go, okay, wait a second, I need to stop and pray. Lord Jesus, would you just fix Carrie? Like seriously, because she's a wreck, right? I'm not taking it back far enough. I mean, outside of the obvious in that joke, but I'm saying if I'm not stopping and going, the conflict between she and I is being spun up by the spiritual forces of darkness and, 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 and wickedness in heavenly places, then I'm not actually praying where the power is. Right? I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and, and we were having some conflict about some miscommunication. And I looked at her and I said, do not, and it wasn't Carrie, and I looked at her and I said, do not let Satan do this. And she looked at me and she said, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about right here and now. That's, and, and this was a person who's a believer. I believe she is a believer in Christ. And I'm like, but, but if this, that's what's happening right now. It isn't some miscommunication between us. It's the enemy turning that miscommunication into anger, fear, doubt, whatever it is. And if we don't recognize that, then we're not really being as courageous as we ought to be in the fight. Right? So, so the first, so how, do, so how do we get better at living for what's real? First, we have to be courageous in the fight. The second thing is, and I'm going to, well, let me, let me keep going. Let me, let me keep going here. So it says, um, all right, so I didn't even finish verse 9 before we go on to the second point. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that, uh, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I, the, the only point I really want to make there about resist him is it, it goes back to like drawing from what we saw Jesus doing in the life of Peter. He's saying we, got, we have to resist him, not by going, I'm strong enough to take on Satan, but by, going, by, by doing what Peter says. How do we resist him? By standing firm in the faith, by being, by, by like anchoring our feet on the rock, right? Like we have to be so grounded in our salvation, so like, like so believing in the word and knowing the word of God that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Otherwise, it is so easy to start to drift away. If we unhinge from this, it's why people who say that the Old Testament doesn't matter. It's why they're, 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 unhing, they're, they're unhinging themselves from the truth of God's word. We are just adrift in an ocean of truth. And pretty soon, man, the enemy is so good at turning truth into just what we want to hear. Right? If you, I heard Tim Keller say it this way. If you always agree with God, you are probably worshiping the wrong God. There's a lot of truth to that. In other words, if God, in other words, his point was, if God never says something to you you don't want to hear, then you're probably not listening to him. And that's the truth. But, but, but we can quickly unmoor, like unhinge ourselves from this and go, I just want to, I want to live in that world. I want to go to that church. I want to, where they just tell me what I want to hear. Right? And, and that is a scary place because that's frankly where Satan lives. All right, so now let's pick it up on our second point. So the second thing is, we, so, and it goes along with that, how do we have to be convinced in our faith. Because you can't stand firm in something you're not convinced in. You cannot stand firm in something you're not convinced in. This is my favorite verse in the whole book. I think I said a few, 
few, few messages ago. I mean, there have been others, now that I've been really studying through it, there have been others that have really jumped into my heart. But this one, if there was a verse in First Peter that I had memorized before we started the study, it was First Peter 5.10. And it was, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Jesus, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, the ESV says, instead of saying perfect, it says restore. And I'm just going to quickly, so in, in I'm, we're, I don't want to do a word study here because I don't want the beauty of this passage and the power behind it to get lost in a word study. But the idea behind restore or perfect is actually the same idea in Greek as setting a broken bone. So he's saying, God of all, so, so after you have suffered for a while, whether that suffering is your whole life, for a few minutes, during a head cold, what, whatever those things are in our lives, after you have gone through that, the God of all glory who has called you to his eternal grace in Christ Jesus will himself reset you. He will fix, he will fix what has been broken. That's the process he's in. It's the redemption, renewal, restoration Ultimate consummation of all things. That's what he's going to do. He's going to restore you. The second thing he says is he's going to confirm you. The idea behind confirm there is to cause something to be able to do it. It's not confirm like, like I, I, conf- I, mean, I, I value you as a person, brother. Like yeah, I confirm you. It's not that. It's not like affirming. It's confirm like make it possible for you to do it. He will do that for you. Then it says strengthen you. That's a little more like self-explanatory, he's going to make you stronger. And then the last thing is, he will establish you. It means to lay a foundation. It's like something that a foundation can be laid upon. He will do that to you. So if, if I mean, ultimately it's that promise for the there and then, but even in the here and now, how we deal with struggles and trials, if we will deal with them by looking to Christ, by, 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 staying, by getting our minds right, our eyes focused on him, by being sober-minded, he is the one who will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Your life will become a foundation on which others can follow, as opposed to being a destroyed witness that the enemy wants you to have. I really wanted the word of God to make the point, and so I'm going to just take the time. I, I know we're over, but that's okay. You guys are used to it at this point. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is one of your daily readings, and so because you have the same Holy Spirit in you as I do, if you're, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm not going to spend a ton of time in this passage, but I want to show you a bigger explanation of what Peter is telling us in just one or two verses. First Peter, or sorry, 2 Chronicles, 2 Corinthians... <laughs> Dyslexia is a terrible disease. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. That goes back to the point I was making a minute ago. Don't unhook yourself from from the truth of God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, he's saying, there's your firm foundation. Here's what you're supposed to be proclaiming with your very life. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now get this. Back, remember what we, remember we started, the, that Satan is prowling like a roaring lion, right? It says, in their case, the, the, so these people who are perishing, they, they cannot see the beauty of the gospel. Here's why. 
to Abby's point, where she's worked, where she's at. Those people, not only are they not saved, they are being directly blinded by the enemy. How do I know? Because look at what he says. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. Guys, those people that drive you crazy because those people, how can they act that way? That's how they act that way. Because the spiritual world is more real than the physical. Yeah, I get that the physical is affecting us and how politics is going and whatever else you want, you know, the, the, the things like, you know, just the, the crime and whatever. But the reality is it's because there's a spiritual component behind it. For what we proclaim in our, of ourselves, but, but what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as the servants for Jesus' sake. For God who is who, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's saying, if you have been born again, it, is, it should be evident through your witness. Now keep, keep going in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the treasure? The truth of the gospel. The saving grace of God. He puts it in just average common folk. Jars of clay, that's what he's saying. He's like, guys, there is nothing special about us. Guys, Jesus did not pick you because he needed you on his team. Jesus did not look down in heaven when I was a God-mocking atheist and go, man, that Doug's really got it going on. I probably ought to get him saved because I really need him in my kingdom. Nothing, nothing special about us. And then he says, except that God loves you and died for you, which makes you invaluable. And then he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And if you read the rest of this letter, not now, but if you read the rest of this letter, you'll see he's not speaking in theory. Peter went, or Paul went through a ton of struggles. I'm going to, I'm going to, just in the interest of time, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that, so, so that as grace extends to more and more, that's, as the mission goes forward. Guys, I'm so excited for the, for the series that we're going into on the, the summer in the solas. And we're going to add, and not only are we going to talk about grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, by the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone, those five solas, the, the five like, basics of our, as, as reformed believers, this is what we believe. We're going to start next week with, and I'm already pumped about this message, and I haven't, all I've done is read the passage a few times, is we're going to start with the Imago Dei. Because if we don't get this idea, which is, just means that we're the image bearers of God, if we don't get the idea that God has created us to be, as his image bearers, to bear his image, all of the rest of those solas, grace, faith, don't mean anything. So, but... It shows, like, that, that is, and part of why I'm excited about the series is, one, it's just the nuts and bolts of who we are. But, two, guys, these are the kinds of questions that the world is struggling with. The reason the world doesn't, doesn't want to come to Christ is because we don't believe we were made in God's image. And that that image was marred by sin. So why do we would even need Jesus? So we need good answers for why does it matter that people are image bearers? And then how does grace and faith fit into that, right? And so hopefully you're thinking about people that you could invite into that conversation, however that would look in your life. 
Okay, let's keep going. So it says, we're going to finish up these last couple of verses of this chapter. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Guys, does that not sound like what Peter was just telling us? That after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. For this light and momentary affliction is producing you an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. For we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. And this goes back to my first point at the beginning of the message. For those of you that are still awake, right? He's, Paul's point, Peter's point is, guys, we, as believers, we aren't looking at the world physically. We have to look at it through spiritual lenses or we're missing the whole point. Now, one of your other daily readings this week is Romans 8, and, he, and Paul hits that really hard, too. So I really want to encourage you to, to, to get on those daily readings because I just don't have time to do this justice. But I do want to have you look at your bulletin. And, and by the way, your daily readings are on the back of your bulletin, as is the table talk question that I'm going to read right now. So the table talk question says this. God knows this world is hard. He knows it practically and personally. I want to stop there for just a second. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there suffering? Why is my dad literally losing his mind? The answer is because it's, we're broken. Right? Sin entered the world and broke it. And God is restoring it. But guys, we have to, under, we, we have to believe, one, that that's happening. But, but here's, the, here's the important part. And this is my, my only answer to those people, that my family members up in Wyoming that were, that were asking, so why do you, you know, you're a Christian, why do you think this is happening? The answer is, I don't know. Here's what I do know, that my Savior suffered way more than my father. Right? I, I don't know why you're going through hard times right now. I don't. I, I, there are not always good answers to the agonizing why questions. But we have a Savior who doesn't just get it because he's all-knowing. He gets it because he lived it. There is no other religion in the world that can say that. Not a one. And we got to grab a hold of that truth and say, you know what? I don't know why you're going through these hard times right now. I just know Jesus not only knows, but he experienced it too. Right? Because people need to hear that. So finish up that thing. He says, but he also knows that great things are in store. How can you get better at trusting and living in the truth of the amazing promise of 1 Peter 5.10? Guys, I would, I would ask you as a family, as a family of God, to commit 1 Peter 5.10 to memory. It's not that hard. If I can do it, you can do it. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all glory, who has called, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Okay, so you need, to be, you need to be able to have that in your head so you can remind yourself of it, so that you can remind your spouse of it, so you can remind your kids of it, so kids, you can remind your parents of it. Right? We all need that truth in our lives. So back to, back to First Peter, and we're going to finish up with our last point. So how do we get better at living for what's real? First of all, right, we have to be courageous in the fight. We have to know that there's a, there's a battle going on that is real. And we have a, a Savior who is interceding on our behalf in the midst of it. And he is the one that's all-powerful, not Satan. Second thing is, we have to be convinced of our faith. You have to know what the Bible says and you have to believe it. 
You have to believe that the promises that, that, have, that have already been fulfilled are living proof, literally, in Christ, that he's going to fulfill the rest of them, regardless of what's going on in your life. And the last thing is you have to be connected to the family of God, and this is going to go, believe it or not, this is going to go very fast. So verse 12 says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, briefly. That's, that's awesome. That's a long letter for briefly, but exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is where I got the, the whole title for the series, Standing Firm. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as so, as so, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a holy kiss of love. Now, I'm just going to stop. I'll, I'll explain some more here. I'm just going to stop. Right I'm going to let you deal with that as you want. Greet one another with a holy kiss of love. Like, hey, just power to the people. But uh, I'm going to let you figure out how you want to handle that. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So what do I, how, where do I get the family of God out of this? Look at the, look at the familial terms P- Peter uses. Not familiar, familial, family terms. Sylvanus. By the way, Sylvanus is Silas from Paul and Silas. So this is a dude that hung out with Paul a ton. He's now with Peter, helping Peter write. Because by the way, Peter wasn't trained in Greek. So Sylvanus or Silas was. So he's probably dic- like writing this as... So people, some people will say, this is a complete aside. It's probably worth nothing. But just in case you ever have somebody go, Peter couldn't have written this because Peter didn't know Greek this good. No, he didn't, but Sylvanus did. And you can just turn there and go, look. He didn't have to know Greek this good because the dude sitting next to him did, right? And so there's the answer to that. But look at what, how he, he says, a faithful brother. Look at what he says about Mark. Mark, my son. That's Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Mark he, he, gives, he uses words like brother and son. We've talked about this a ton here just by the kind of church we are. When Jesus says, who is my father and my mother, or who is my, my mother and my brother and my sister, he, he isn't using those terms like, hey, brother, how you doing, man? Right? He really means brother. Like, so does Peter. Redefine the family. She who is in Babylon. That is just a term for, Babylon is a term for the world, Rome. We saw that when we were going through Revelation, right? It's, it's the great Babylon. It's like the world system. So his, it's his way of saying the church in Rome sends their greetings as well. So we've already kind of hit hard this idea of, back in verse 12, declaring this, tr- this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I, my question is, are you? Like, are you really standing firm in the grace of God? How can we get better at living for what's real? Well, the answer is, guys, the, 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 answer, the answer has to be that we know we're in a fight and we're going to be courageous because we know who's fighting for us. We have to be convinced that we know what we know, what we know, what we know, what we believe. We have to know that we know it because the world wants to tell us all kinds of things against it. And then, guys, we have to be connected to the family of God because we need, we need each other to remind each other of those truths. When you start to drift away, it's, it's why Internet Church, as much as I, and I know some of you are watching right now, and you'll watch it later because of everything from vacation. And, and I'm glad we have stuff like this for vacationing people and people that still can't come because they're bedridden. Or, it's not the same. It's not, and we all know people, guys, who have drifted in the last year and a half, not just from us, I mean from all kinds of churches, where they are no longer anywhere because they're doing church at home. Man, I don't know how you do this 
by yourself or with one or two other people in your house on a regular basis and have your soul be nourished. Because the only way we get this last promise, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And I'm going to have the music team come up. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Because the only way we get that is if those other things are true. If we're reminding ourselves of, because I don't know about you, but part of why I, I so love the first, today, the first hour of our time is because it, it gives me that time we talked about last week to just let the Spirit settle my soul. Listen to his voice. Watch him move among you guys. Right? Like that is so like soul nourishing to me. Because we're going to walk out and not only is it actually a hundred and oh my goodness degrees outside, but the world is just turning up the heat and we need those times to just sit and go, <sighs> in his last big speech, starts in like John 14 and ends in John 17. Jesus hits this really hard. Peace. Right? Because he knows we need it. So as we get ready to close up and the music team starts to, um, we, we go into our time of response. I just want to read a couple of, like at the beginning, sort of the beginning of that whole section in John 14, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then right before they enter the garden and he goes off to pray with his father, he says, I have said these things that you may in me have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world.